Welcome to the Woodridge Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about what's happening in the life of our church, visit our website at www.woodridge.org. Enjoy the podcast. All right, well, good morning, Woodridge. It's so good to be here. Glad to be a part of your fellowship. I actually was here back in the spring and got to speak to the men then and join you in worship. And I want to tell you, I was moved in your worship service last spring. I mean, God was just here, and he's here this morning, and he has something he wants to do and to say into our lives, and that is um, something that we all need to recognize as essential, that we meet with God, right? That we don't just do life and think about God occasionally, but that we actually walk with God, we talk with God. I've been saying about the Bible lately that God's Word, it's not an ethical treatise. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. It's a, it's a book of happenings. What's happened in the world? Where has God showed up? What has He done? What has He said? How have people met with Him, talked to Him, failed Him, served Him? It's about what happens. And that's really what I want to talk about this morning. Before I do that, I want to introduce my wife and uh, Sahoy. American Indian. I'm not sure where she's sitting, but she is here. And I really wanted to, there she is right there. I can't see her, but uh, I know she's there. I see her arm waving. She doesn't mind being up front. She's okay with that. Uh, She, uh, Sahoy and I are headed toward this coming spring, our 50th wedding anniversary. So I'm very excited about that. Yay. And this is also a our 50th year of vocational ministry. We've both been in the ministry for 50 years this year. So we've got two great 50s, and we're real happy about that. We have two grown children. We have six grandchildren. They all live about, we live out in the country ways, and they live about 20 minutes from us over in Cyprus, 30 minutes away, and we all go to the same church together. I was pastor of Calvary Community Church in Northwest Houston for 33 years, and uh, back in 2017, our executive pastor took over as senior pastor, and I'm not sure if I have a title now, but I still serve and work and preach some and teach and do a Wednesday night Prophetic Life Workshop Online, YouTube uh, channel, Freshwater International, and I do that every Wednesday night. So my wife says I'm busier now than when I was pastoring, but uh, it's not a time of um, retirement. I can assure myself of that. I keep telling myself I'm retired, but it doesn't seem that way uh, at all. I was telling the guys, though, as you get older, life changes. It's like I used to do sit-ups and push-ups in the morning. Now I do diddly squats. It's like those are the best exercise I've come up with. My wife always has me tell her favorite joke because she thinks her jokes are better than my jokes. But uh, we'll have to see. She says that uh, her favorite joke is about the two snakes that were crawling along in the grass together. And one of them said to the other, are we poisonous snakes? And the first one said, well, that's a dumb question. And so that only matters to other people. That didn't matter to us. And he says, well, it matters to me. I just bit my lip. Uh, That's pretty weak, Hoy. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, When I first got to Texas, I'm a Louisiana boy originally, but we've been in Texas a long time now. Uh, But I had one of my members tell me that my sermons were a lot like a longhorn steer. There's a point here and a point here and a bunch of bull in the middle. (laughs) And then the next lady right behind it says, Pastor, every sermon you preach is better than the next one. I am still trying to fish a compliment out of that somehow, but I'm not quite there yet. 
But we're glad to be here with you this morning. I'm very excited about what the Lord wants to share because it's about his presence. If you have your Bibles, I want to look at two passages of Scripture. Ephesians chapter 2, Ephesians chapter 2, and Revelation chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 2 and Revelation chapter 4. Father, thank you that you are Emmanuel with us right now. That you're in this room, the living God, the creator. And you want us to call you Abba, Papa. Thank you that you love us like that. We don't really understand, God, how you do, but it's who you are. And God, what we know of you, we love. And I pray today that your love will, will change us, will draw us, God, will connect us with you more than we've ever been connected. God, we'll just keep getting to know you better because you are full of life. You are the gift of life. You are love. Lord, everything we actually want in life, it's what you are. So speak to us, God. Your word is life. God, speak to us, I pray. In the name of our Savior, our soon-coming King, Jesus Christ, amen. As I said, I pastored Calvary, was Calvary Baptist Church. We changed our name to Calvary Community Church to better deal with our vision, which is intimacy, community, kingdom. Establishing people in intimacy with God, expressing true Christian community, and extending the kingdom of God in the earth. That's our vision. So a number of years ago, 2000, I mean, uh, 1997, I believe we changed it to Calvary Community Church to catch the community part of our vision. Uh, We're still a Baptist church, but in God's uh, work in us, we have had occasion where God actually like visited our services. And we, you know, it's like, well, God's always there, right? We we know God's everywhere. I've been through a time of real burnout in my ministry and I was just just really down in the dumps. And, and uh, I remember just praying to God. It's like, God, I know, I know theology. I know my brain tells me that you're everywhere. You're omnipresent. But God, I don't need you to be everywhere. I need you to be somewhere. I need you to be right here. I need to know you. Who are you? What are you? I need God. And God began to move in my life in ways when I just said, God, I want to know you. Who are you? The real God. That's what I need. I need you. I don't want to pray about stuff. I just want to get to know you. And God actually answered that prayer. He just began to move in my life and touch me and speak and love me in ways I'd never known that he could actually do that. It's like we we get so theologized about God. We get God in our little boxes. And I have found God just won't stay in my boxes. Whatever I create, I think I've got him he just gets out somehow he's always bigger than what I think and we've had a couple of occasions in our church where the Lord has moved in and ministered in just supernatural ways really one morning we had we had two Sunday morning services and at the early service at eight o'clock we'd had our, our singing time and I stood up to preach and when I walked up the pulpit I just felt the Lord say to me in my heart don't say anything and I stood there looking at them, and they're looking at me. It's like, God, it's my turn. What, what do you want me to do? And he asked me, he said, I think the Lord said, ask Jeff if he has something to say. Now, Jeff's our senior pastor now. He was our youth pastor then. And Jeff is, I think God picked Jeff because Jeff is our, 
He's our straight man on our team. I'm a big jokester and a kidder and always about fun. And Jeff, he is like the brain of everything. He's like, he graduated, not magna summa cum laude, from Baylor in business. I mean, he never made anything but A's or anything in his life. He's just this brilliant guy. And I just turned to Jeff. I said, Jeff, have you got something to say? And when I did, he fell out of his chair and started just bawling. Just, wah! <laughs> and when he did, it was like, it was like a scene out of Whitfield, uh, Whitfield and Wesley. It's like, and I didn't know a lot of church history, but I knew about the first and second great awakenings, but it was like the, the spirit just opened up the room and it's like God was there. And what we saw was how sinful we were. And everybody just began to cry just automatically. I mean, I hadn't said anything other than, Jeff, if you got something to say, he starts crying and everybody starts crying. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. People started running down to the altar and weeping and crying. And after a while, I'm thinking like, okay, I ought to do something. So here's brilliant Pastor Steve, good Baptist I am. I ran down to one lady and I started sharing the four spiritual laws with her. It's like, I could tell pretty shortly she wasn't listening to a word I was saying, you know. She was here. God. I said, what is God saying to you? She said, repent, repent, repent. And I just joined in the repentance. People were calling their friends and neighbors. You got to come to church. God is here. Like we didn't know what had happened. And they were calling and people were coming into the auditorium. That service went from that point, eight o'clock in the morning to two 30 in the afternoon. Nobody sang another song. Nobody preached a sermon. Nobody gave it. Nobody said anything. 17 people gave their hearts to Jesus and we baptized them that night. It was like, it was just a time of just repentance and it was all done by God. It's like, we weren't planning, we didn't look for this. He just showed up. Listen, God is a real spirit and he really speaks to us, moves in us and he can convict us of sin, thank goodness. We need that, don't we? And he can encourage us, he can give to us hope, he can give to us all kinds of things that, that come and sometimes I'm saying, I'm learning to teach that we usually think of God coming from the, from the outside down, like from he's sitting on the throne, he's the king of the universe and we know that and that's true and he comes down and he answers prayer, you know, he does a miracle or he speaks a word, whatever it is, it's like he comes from the outside down. But I'm learning also, remember God dwells in us, right? The Holy Spirit, we're temples and the Holy Spirit dwells in us. And so God also comes from the inside up and he gives things like courage. He gives things like wisdom, ask for wisdom. Where does that come? It comes mostly from the inside up, sometimes from the outside. But he gives to us things from both directions. God is just always wanting to meet with us is the point. God is wanting to share life with us, not for us just to believe in him in some abstract theological way. He's wanting us to become one with him. He's wanting us to be one spirit with the Lord. That's what we're called to be. So the Lord came and he just touched us and he convicted us of our sin. And it really set us on a, on a pressing in for God, make us your people. Make us a holy people, a godly people. He manifested himself also at times in our church in a healing wave. And he, God began to heal people in our body. Again, we weren't looking for it. I wasn't reading anything, charismatic material, anything. I'm a good Baptist. It's like, but all of a sudden, he started healing people. We had a little boy, Justin Hendershot. He got sick, and they took him to Sawfair Hospital down the road from the church. 
and they thought uh, he had meningitis. But then he began to have some motor skill problems, some blurred vision, and they knew, no, this is something different. So they put him in, uh, in an ambulance, took him down to, to, to Texas Children, I believe it was, and um, there they discovered he had a tumor in his brain the size of a golf ball. And they said, we've got to take this out. It could press on his breathing or anything. He could die. If we take it out, he may come out blind. He may not come out at all, but we've got to take this out. And I remember Sahoy and I went to the hospital. We had prayer chains going. We laid hands on him prayed for him that night. The next morning, we're with uh, Callie, his mother, and Jerry, her, her, his dad, at the hospital, and, and they, take, they take little uh, Justin in, and they came out way shorter than what they said the surgery would last, and when they came out, the doctors were like a little sheepish, and they're like, well, we went in there. They took his skull off, and they said, but the tumor was gone. They said, we could see a little indention where something had been, and there were a few dead cells, but the tumor wasn't there anymore. Like, we had church right there in the hallway at the hospital. It's like, that was a pretty exciting time. And God healed several, I mean, medically verified, genuine miracles in our midst. And it was like a wave, and then it left. And it's like, the God that we serve, we need to let him be who he is. He's just a real God. And he comes and he visits and he touches and he speaks and he moves. You probably, if you've been in church long, you've probably been in services where like God moved and, you know, maybe you had a revival service or something. It's like, and God touched people and people were saved and lives were changed. And you've probably had your life changed or you wouldn't be here. It's like God speaks to us. He calls us. And what we need to ask ourselves is a question when we think about that. What is it that attracts the presence of God? And even further than that, I began to ask this question. God, not where do you visit, but where would you dwell? Where would you actually stay? I love the visitations I've seen of the Lord. It's been a glorious time when that happens. But I'm like, God, where do you want to live? Where do you dwell? And when I asked that question, there are some things God began to speak to me in the scriptures like, oh, yeah. That act, he's already told us these things. I just hadn't noticed. Um, the chef has a White House. And one of the, the chef has a White House. The White House has a chef. I think that would be a better way to say that. Uh, the White House has a chef. And, and one of his jobs is to fix meals for heads of state that come from other countries and to prepare things that would make them feel at home, things that they would enjoy. What if the, the chef at the White House came out, they have the prime minister of Israel there, and he says, this is the finest platter of ham and eggs I have ever cooked for anybody. It's like... Ham and egg, probably not the best thing to serve to the prime minister of Israel to serve him pork. One of the jobs of the chef is don't offend the people. You know, do something that they would like. And that is also true with God. There are things we can do that God doesn't particularly like. In fact, the Bible tells us something God actually hates. If you look for them, they're there. But there are some things he enjoys. There are some things that attract him. There are some things he says, that's where I'm going to stay. And that's what I found in this passage of Scripture. You know, Jesus tells us about God, John 4, 24, God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So we want both head and heart, the inside and the thinking part of us. We want to touch God because God is touchable and he can touch us. God hears us and we can hear him. There's a real spirit 
who wants to engage with our spirits as well as with our minds and our bodies. He's created us for this. So I said, he's, he's actually designed us as human beings to be indwelt by his spirit. I mean, that's just totally beyond our understanding. But the truth is, we already have parts of us like that, right? I mean, like, we have a brain, we have a physical brain, and it's got thoughts in it and memories in it, but you can't cut open that brain and start pulling out a thought here, a memory there, but somehow that thinking part is mixed in with that brain, right? You can cut open my heart, but you can't pull out my love, but, you know, it's in there. You can't pull out my will, but I have a will. It's like we're already spirit and matter, but God wants to even join in that himself. He's spirit also. He joins in to, to be in this relationship of love with us to help us to be all he made us to be, all he wired us to be. So God tells us there are things we should be careful of. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. He talks about some sins that grieve the Holy Spirit, some things that offend him. The word grieve is a love word. You can't grieve an enemy. You can make them mad or spiteful or vengeful, but you, can't, you can only grieve someone who loves you. So when it says don't grieve, the, don't, don't wound his heart. Don't make him sad. That's one thing we have to watch out. It's like, you know, the things we can do that actually make God sad. You have the ability to impact God because he loves us. And it's a real love relationship. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, don't quench the spirit. Don't, don't suppress. Don't, don't put down. Don't, don't uh, extinguish what he's trying to do. We have to be sensitive like me when I'm stood up there to preach that day and the Lord says, don't say anything. I could have ignored it and just gone on with my sermon, but I just decided to risk. That's kind of how we've learned to spell faith around our place. It's R-I-S-K. Just take a risk. If you think it's God, you know, if it's not something really strange, you know, things can be weird. Just read the book. Just because it's weird, let me say this, doesn't mean it's not God. But let me also say, just because it's weird doesn't mean it is God. There are a lot of weird people in the world too, right? It's like, but God can speak to us, commune with us, communicate, and we have to learn how to listen to what the Spirit is saying. How does the Spirit do that? We want to make Him feel at home. We want to do the things that He feels welcome, that He would actually dwell there. Back in Exodus chapter 25, God is talking to Moses and saying, I actually want to dwell with the people. It's interesting. You have to go way back to the beginning. Of course, you've got Genesis, the creation, and God and Adam and Eve walking in the garden. God's intention has always been to dwell with us. And back in Exodus 25, he's going to lead, he's leading the people out of the Egyptian into the promised land. Of course, they're going to disobey him on that. But verse 8, he says to Moses, have the people make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. He says, Moses, I want to dwell with the people. I just don't want to be up in heaven. I want to be right here with you. I am with you, God, right? Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us. God wants to be with us right here, right here at Woodridge. God doesn't want to just be in heaven. He is in heaven. He is on the throne. But he also wants to just dwell here. What makes him feel at home? What would attract him to visit? That's a good thing. But I want to talk about what would make him want to come and stay. Just hang around this place. Be with us. He's saying, that's who I am. That's what I want. And all the way back in Exodus, he's saying, I want to dwell with the people. 
Make a sanctuary for me and make it like I tell you to make it. You see, God is desiring to dwell with us, but there are things we do that don't make him feel comfortable. Things that keep him back a bit and, and like I don't, I'm not comfortable there. And we have to begin to recognize what these things are. So he tells him, verse 9 there, Exodus 25, that make this exactly like the pattern I will show you. And man, when you start looking at that, what is conducive? What if Moses said, well, Lord, we had a couple, they died a couple of months ago, and they left a nice tent, it's got a breakfast nook, a microwave. How about, how about just moving in their spot, you know? And God's like, no, I've got a pattern, I've got a plan. You make it like this, and I'll come and I will dwell with them. Get over into Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, chapter 8, verse 5. And here's what we find. They served, talking about the priest, at a sanctuary, talking about the time of Moses, the tabernacle, that is a copy and a shadow of what is in heaven. God says, I got a house. It's a real place. It's in a different dimension, the heavenly dimension where God dwells. He has a real throne. He has a real throne room. He has a dwelling place. All the heavenly city is there. And he says, I want you to make something that resembles that because I like the way my house is. You know, I, I like my house. We designed our house and we moved out in the country a few years ago. I've got my favorite chair, like I know probably you do, places you like to sit, things that make you comfortable. Ladies decorate the nest because they're real nesters. It's like, I don't get nests, but they like stuff looking this way and that way. Things that we just enjoy because we're in God's image. They're things God enjoys too. And so he tells Moses, make it like I want you to make it. And here in Hebrews, where he says, he said to Moses, make it according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Moses, I'm going to show you what my house is like in heaven. Now you build me a sanctuary, build me a tabernacle that looks like that. And I'm going to be really happy to settle in there and to dwell among you. So Moses does that, right? And as he does that, it says in Exodus chapter 40, he's done everything according to the way the Lord said the pattern to be. And Exodus 40, verse 33, Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and the altar, put the curtain at the, tent, uh, at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. He did just what God told him to do. Verse 34, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. God came down out of the heavenly arena. I'm gonna dwell right here with you guys. I'm gonna settle in and be among you. Again, it's what it's always been in his heart way back from Exodus, way back from the garden, walking, talking, and it's what he wants with you and me. There's a corporate truth to this, which I want you to hear this morning. What will make God comfortable right here in this place? And there's a personal thing because we're all, again, temples of the Holy Spirit. It's true for our lives. It's true for your church. How can we make God feel at home? Look at our Revelation chapter 4 passage. Verse 1, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. We're about to go into God's living room. That's what John's going to see. And the voice I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once, verse 2, I was in the Spirit, and before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. God says, come on in, John. Let me show you where I live. Wow. The first thing John sees is a throne. Again, we all have our favorite chairs, favorite places we like to sit. We design it the way we want it. 
God's favorite chair is a throne. He's meant to rule and to reign. He's meant to be the Lord. He's meant to be God. It's who he is. It's his nature. It's what makes him feel at home. It's like he can't be anything less than that. And when we want God to dwell with us personally, corporately, we say, God, rule and reign in this place. You have the right. You have the word. Speak to us. How do you want it? What do you want to do? We want God to rule and reign. He didn't say, John, come on in and why don't you sit on my throne? I'll be, that'll be great. You just take that real. Con-. No. God says, I will not share my glory with another. It's because he can't. It's like, it just doesn't work that way. God has made the world and he rules and reigns over it all. If he didn't, it would literally fall apart. We've got some verses that tell us, you know, he, he holds everything together. Colossians 1.17, everything would come apart without him. Or Hebrews 1.3, it's like his word keeps everything stuck together. Creation doesn't exist unless God rules and reigns. So he's at home where he's on the throne. Give the Father that place in your life. God, rule and reign in my life. Help me to obey you in all things. Oh, listen, God loves to settle in to a place like that. And you look at what God has done in this world. The cross is empty. The tomb is empty, but the throne is occupied. We come into his presence and he comes into ours. He will be the one who rules and who reigns because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Give him your time, your talents, your treasure. Lord, God, it all belongs to you, really. Every good thing I have has come from you. The scriptures tell us, how can I serve you? How can I honor you? What would you have me do with this? My time, my talent, my treasure. God, it's all from you, a gift from you, good things from you that I enjoy. How can I serve you? God will dwell in that life. God will dwell in that church. Second thing that we see here in God's living room, verse 8, Revelation 4, the four living creatures said six wings covered with eyes all around, even under its wings, and day and night they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. God dwells where he sits on the throne, and God dwells in an atmosphere of holiness. He loves holiness. So many times we hear holiness, it sounds hard and rules and do's and don'ts and all that kind of stuff. And holiness is about happiness. Holiness is about life flourishing. It's about being what God meant for it to be. And it's beautiful and it's good. Day and night, holy, holy, holy. Not just a time and a place here and there, but living life in this atmosphere of God, we want you to be at home in our midst. We want you to have the pattern that makes you happy, that reflects your presence, your goodness, and your glory. And so we have to ask in our lives, are there things again that are unholy? Things that are offensive to God. What we watch or say how we act, or who we're with. Whatever it is, it's like, you know, this doesn't feel right to God. Holiness is a call to life, to full life, to flourishing life, to happiness. And the scripture tells us without holiness, no one will see the Lord. It's like it gives us vision. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. As God purifies our heart, our vision of God gets clearer. We're able to perceive better where he is and what he's doing. Oh, listen, holiness is not a hard thing. It's a life-giving thing. It's a glorious thing. And 
we have the Holy Spirit living in us, right? Every believer, Romans 8, 9, if you have not the Spirit of Christ, you are none of His. You're not even a Christian without the Holy Spirit. You ask Christ into your life, Lord, save me. I want you to come and be Lord of my life. The Holy Spirit moves in. He doesn't give you a message or some rules. He gives you His Spirit. Don't miss His first name, right? Holy Spirit. It's what He is. And He will make you flourish in life if you'll say, Whatever's not pleasing to you, show me, Lord. And what's beautiful to you, help me to build it in. Help me to make it a part of the design of my life and our church. Let us design what makes you at home. Let him come into our hearts, into our fellowship. And we do that, and God will be at home. God will dwell. You know, there's a verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 21.9. You know, we always want to memorize Scripture, right? I remember when I was a young pastor, I wanted to memorize this Scripture. So I kept putting it on the refrigerator. It's like, it would be gone every day. I didn't know what was happening to it. Proverbs 21.9, I was trying to memorize it. It's better to live on a corner of a roof than in a house with a cantankerous woman. It's like, I kept putting it on the refrigerator, but it kept leaving. I was like, where did that go? Well... It's better to live on the corner of a roof than in a house with a cantankerous woman. Who wrote that? Who wrote that? Solomon, right? Proverbs, we good there? Wait a minute. Well, he had 100 wives. He's figured that out for sure, right? I mean, you know, he had plenty of opportunity to get this one down right. But I want to ask you again, who wrote that? It's in Proverbs. Proverbs is in the Bible. Who wrote the Bible? Where did did it come from? God wrote that. Better to live on the corner of a roof than in a house with a cantankerous woman. God wrote that. You know, I think the Holy Spirit comes into some churches and some places of communion, and he's like, Father, I can't stay in there. They just argue and fight all the time. They're never happy with one another. I'm just going to sit on the roof till they get things straightened out. I think a lot of places just miss the presence of God because we don't know how to just get along, how to love one another. Love covers a multitude of sins. Love rejoices in righteousness and truth, right? There are a lot of things love does we can learn about, but we need to make love a central theme. Oh, listen, that's where God will dwell. God will dwell where it's a place of love and happiness. And that's what we see when we become holy, And just joining with that, what happens when you get holy, verse 9 there in Revelation chapter 4, whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne who lives forever and ever, God dwells on a throne, God loves an atmosphere of holiness and an atmosphere of thanksgiving. Thanksgiving makes him feel at home. Not cantankerous arguing, right? I mean, we're going to argue sometimes. Sometimes you need to have a good fight over something. You have to wrestle for what you believe in and love. I'm not against that as long as we do that in a spirit of love and honor. Do that in the right way. When we do that, God's okay. He knows we're messed up. He will help us figure it out. But God dwells in an atmosphere of thanksgiving. Giving thanks, being thankful for all God has done and blessed us, how he treats us, how he doesn't treat us. Thank you, God, for not treating me as my sins deserve. Isn't that a great passage? Thank you that you don't treat me as my sins deserve. I'm thankful for that. 
We need thanksgiving, lives full of that, and God will settle there. We need churches full of thanksgiving. God, thank you for that. And even when things are going wrong, we need like this Habakkuk mentality, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17. Though the fig tree doesn't bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, and the olive crop fails, and the fools, the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen or cattle in the stalls. God's having a bad year, right? Yet I will rejoice in the Lord and be joyful in God my Savior. Man, I'm not sure I live Habakkuk all the time, but I know that's the direction I want to go. How to be a thankful person. You know, every breath is a testimony. God wants you here. He's not through with you. If you've got a pulse, you've got a purpose. God wants us to live. That's why we're here. So we should learn how to be thankful for every breath. Again, Acts 17, God, he gives us life and breath and everything else. Learn to be thankful. Learn to be joyful in God. Habakkuk, I will rejoice. Even if the world looks like it's falling apart, I am going to be thankful to my God. Thanksgiving is a powerful, powerful thing in our lives. And it makes God feel at home. His presence settles where he rules and reigns, where people are pursuing holiness, flourishing life of righteousness, where people are full of thanksgiving. And another thing we see here in this passage in God's living room, verse 10, Revelation 4, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. Worship. And I think you guys are, you've got a great track here. Your worship team, your hearts. I get the very first service last spring when I was here. I'm like, God loves this place. God loves the worship in this place because it's genuine and it's real. Keep it up. Don't let it fade. Keep going. Lord, we worship you. We honor you. We come and we present ourselves before you to give thanks, to give surrender, to give confession. Whatever it is you need on that day and whatever God wants you to give, do it. God loves this place because of that. And he will not just visit. He'll dwell here in your worship. He will dwell in your worship. Oh, he has that right there in his own living room. Worship is just saying, yes, God, we want you here. (laughs) We like you here. We're enjoying your presence with us. It's a life that proclaims God's worthiness. That's what worship is. It overflows in in that praise, right? I mean, like praise is like inner health made audible. Praise is inner health. Your heart's healthy, and it's made audible when you give praise to God. You're saying, God, you've made me whole on the inside. Thank you. You've made my heart glad. You've forgiven my sins. That praise is just letting that health, that spiritual health, just give testimony to God. And he settles and he dwells in that kind of atmosphere. Worship is surrender. And yes, worship, corporate worship, the music, that is absolutely a beautiful and powerful part of worship, the worship of a church. But let's not forget that worship is not over when the music stops, right? Worship is about living a life totally surrendered to God. First time worship is used in the Bible is in the story of Abraham when he goes to sacrifice Isaac. First time the word is used when he's leaving his servants and he says, the lad and I will go and worship God there. About to lay down the life of his son before God steps in. That's the first use of worship. No music. There's surrender. There's offering. 
Oh, that's what we need. That thing that says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Lord, I trust you. I may not understand you at this moment, but I trust you. That's worship. It's deep. It's powerful that we know God enough that when we don't understand, we still trust. That is the deepest worship I know that I think we can find so far in this life. Maybe there's more, but that's a pretty good place to go where Jesus says, Father, not my will, but thine be done. That's worship. Not my will, but thine be done. That's worship. Build a place of worship in your heart and God will dwell in you. The last thing God says, he will dwell in a place of humility. Verse 10, Revelation 4, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne saying, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will, they were created and have their being. Humility is taking whatever honor we have and laying it at God's feet, saying, God, I know it all comes from you. You made me who I am. You've given me what I have. Everything good I have, Lord, is a gift from your hand. Every good gift, the scripture says, has come from the Father. It's taking everything we have and laying it at the feet, whatever worth we have, whatever honor, whatever skills we recognize, God, you put that in me. We've stewarded it. We should. We take care of it. We grow it. We do whatever we need to develop it. But then we say, God, thank you for putting this in my life. Thank you for giving this into my life. And we lay it before the Lord. That's humility to recognize, God, it's all you. Everything's grace. It is all grace. Oh, how God wants us to be a people where he feels at home in our lives. Don't forget, each of us are temples, right? He had the tabernacle and the temple that David built, same thing. He gave him the pattern. Make it according to the pattern, and they did. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle, filled the temple. And Jesus came, and he says, the Holy Spirit's not living in a temple of, filled, made with human hands anymore. He's living in a temple made of human hearts. And Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. John 3, 36, Jesus had the spirit without measure. And we're to be conformed to the image of Christ. We are to be filled with the spirit too. We are to have a temple within us. And in that place, if we will put the things that make God at home, he will not just visit, he will dwell with us. And that's what he's looking for. I want to dwell among them. All the way back in Exodus, the very beginning. I walked with man in the garden. Now I want to dwell with man. I want to dwell with my nation. I want to dwell in my temple. I want to dwell in my son. I want to dwell in my children. We've probably all had some visits of the Lord from time to time in our lives, and I'm so thankful for that. But there's more, church. Make a place for him to dwell in your heart, in your life, in your fellowship. And I pray, I'll tell you what my prayer has been for my church, and I pray this for you guys too, that there would come a time in my life and your life and your church and my church where we'd hear God say, there's no place like home. I would love for that to be true. Amen. We hope you have enjoyed the podcast. For more information about our church, visit www.woodridge.org.